Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. Wanted to continue our discussion on the Bible. Uh, this is uh, part six of our series on the Bible. If you've missed the previous episodes, um, we invite you to go to our website, srministries.org, and you can listen to the previous episodes on the Bible. And uh, thoroughly enjoy this topic, talking about the Biblios, the book, uh, the Bible, the 66 books that God has deposited unto us and has uh, divinely preserved for us to um, find our our meaning in terms of life, to uh, find our purpose, uh, to find our direction in regards to where he wants us to go. So we are grateful to the Almighty God for leaving with us instructions for us to get to know him, for us to know our human historicity, for us to know our purpose and identity. So uh, the Bible is a very important book. And as I mentioned before, it's not just uh, a book. The, uh, this is God speaking to us. The, the, it is from him to us, uh, from God to us. And so um, the author of the scriptures is God himself. And we are reminded that uh, the words found in the Bible are God-breathed, God-inspired. Uh, God is the author. And uh, he used humans to write it down, but God is the author. So the question is, do we have what they wrote? And the answer is yes. Uh, and um, the second question is, uh, is what they wrote accurate? And the, question, and the answer is yes. Uh, we do have what uh, they wrote, and they're talking about the apostles and um, the manuscripts that we have now, which our Bibles come from, uh, they are accurate. In last uh, episode, we talked about the canonicity of the Bible, the read, the standard, um, the Bible in terms of um, God's word and the pureness of God's word, the authenticity of God's word. Um, Do we have it? And yes, we do have it. And by what standard did the books that we have in our Bible, what standards were used to determine whether or not uh, those words were God's words and not words that are fabricated? Uh, If you read Galatians, the first chapter, we are reminded, um, uh, as Paul talks about that, even in the first century, there were false gospels. There were people out there disseminating false information, just like today. uh, Nothing has changed. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes, and that's accurate. 
Uh, even today, um, there are false gospels all around us, false teachings all around us, false preachers all around us. Uh, not every book, just because uh, it's called uh, Christian or uh, may have a Bible on the cover page, doesn't mean that what's inside of it is accurate. doesn't mean what's inside of it is pure. doesn't mean what's inside of it is who gays. And who gays is that Greek word that means healthy. So it's important that we stick with the authenticity, the authentic word of God. And the Bible internally reminds us that we shouldn't uh, draw out of it what the Bible is not conveying, and we shouldn't put in there what we shouldn't put in there. So we shouldn't eisegese, which is to put inside the Bible what's not there, and we shouldn't draw out of the Bible what's not there. So it's very important that we as believers, that we stick with the truth, that we remain contextual, that we uh, practice proper hermeneutics. As we said before, hermeneutics is the science and art of biblical interpretations. The science, meaning there are rules that govern how we ought to read the Bible. The art is the practum, how we practice what we read from the Bible or or how we practice our uh, exegesis, uh, our uh, approach to the Bible, how we lift out of the Bible what needs to be lifted out and um, how we properly interpret what we're reading. Uh, And we said before, uh, when we talked about hermeneutics, and I'm just going to say this, uh, I'm going to throw this in for free. When we approach the Bible, the first question is never, what does the Bible or what does this passage mean to me? And I hear a lot of believers say that, well, uh, uh, this passage means to me, no, that's not the first question. The first question in trying to interpret the scripture is not, uh, well, I believe. No, it doesn't matter what I believe. The first question that I ought to be uh, asked is, what is the message that the writer is trying to convey to the audience? We are privileged enough to see communication between the writer and the audience. So when Matthew writes his letter, he's writing to a particular audience in the first century. So we want to know what is Matthew's message to the first century audience, as an example. Then, once we are able to ascertain what that message is to that primary audience, then we are able to ask the question, okay, is the message being conveyed, is it descriptive Or is it prescriptive? Again, the second question is, is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? So if a passage is uh, descriptive, that means that um, it's a one-time event or it's a one-time occurrence, and the passage is just describing the events that's going on. So I'll give you an example. I always use this this, uh, for my class. When God, or when we read about how God deals with Moses as it relates to the Red Sea experience, that is a descriptive text. 
It's not designed to be prescriptive. Prescriptive meaning that all Christians are supposed to follow uh, the mandates or follow the same thing or do the same thing. Uh, just like 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where it says, pray without ceasing. That text is prescriptive, meaning that uh, it's prescribed for all Christians to, get, to engage in it. When, so when you uh, encounter a prescriptive text, that text is binding for all believers. So when the Bible talks about uh, pray without ceasing, that isn't just for the first century Christian. That's for all believers. How do we know that? It's because we have reinforcing text. You can go to other passages in the scriptures where it talks about praying and, 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 and not ceasing to pray. There are other corroborating texts that supports that particular text. So if, if you ever trying to figure out if is this text descriptive or prescriptive, one good way is to look at other supporting texts in the scripture. Are there are there other texts that supports that principle? And if you don't find other texts, then more than likely is descriptive and not prescriptive. So last week we talked about the method of canonicity. In other words, uh, how did the um, the early church canonize the Bible? Meaning that they closed they they closed what books or what letters would be included in our Bible? It is closed, and it's been closed for a very long time. And um, we're it, 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 we're not at a point where uh, any other manuscript can come along and contradict what we already have. So in terms of criteria, there were three questions asked when they were trying to vet which letters belonged in the Bible. The first question, as I said before, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on the questions. Uh, You can look at last week's episode or listen to last week's episode. The first question that they asked themselves was, was the text inspired by God? Was it inspired by God? Can we, can we determine that it was inspired by God? Number two, did God's people recognize it as the word of God? Um, during the first century, they knew, when I say they, I'm talking about early Christians in the first century, they knew which letters came from the apostles. Uh, many of them were still, uh, uh, many of the recipients of this letter uh, lived during the time of the apostles in the first century. So they knew which one belonged to uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, etc. And then the third question was, was the text successfully preserved? Was the text successfully preserved? Um, number one, was the text inspired by God? They had to vet and to make sure that it was inspired by God, meaning they came from God, meaning that uh, there's nothing within this new text that contradicts what we already have. So if they discovered a new letter, uh, a letter that was to, was to be considered to be included into in, the canon, they asked the question, do we know for certain that it's inspired by God? And if it's inspired by God, then it needs to be in harmony with the letters they already knew for certain came from God. Then the second was, was the text um, 
that God's people recognize it as the word of God. And so what that means is there was a communal approach. A communal approach, an ecclesiastical approach. Uh, So the church body, the ecclesia, uh, the Catholic church, not in the denominational sense, but in a functional sense. Catholicism, Catholic means universal. So in a universal sense, within the global church community, they knew which texts were authentic and which were not. They knew which ones uh, the apostles gave them, and, they, uh, uh, and as a result, whenever a new text were to be con- uh, considered, and excuse me if I'm not <laughs> pronouncing it right, but um, when I say text, I'm not saying T-E-S-T. I'm talking about T-E-X-T. So if there was a new text, they needed to consider it and look at it to make sure that it was indeed God's word. So God's people have to recognize it. They have to vouch for it. Yes, we know for certain that these words are in harmony with what we already have. So as a result, uh, we know that it hasn't been uh, compromised. Then number three, was the text successfully preserved? Was it successfully preserved? Um, They also looked at the transmission in the sense that um, we have this new text that that needs to be considered. Was it preserved? Meaning that uh, there's nothing within the writings of this new text that is to be considered that is contradictory to what we already have. So even if if they view this new new uh, text that are to be considered, when they looked at it, they took their time. And if, let's say, 99% was accurate and even 1% was inaccurate, they rejected it because they believed, which is true, that uh, the Holy Spirit needs to preserve. If it's from God, the Holy Spirit will preserve the writing. And if there's something in there that's blatantly contradictory to Scripture, then they believe that the Holy Spirit did not author it, which is true. So if there's a writing and any part of that writing is contradictory to the rest of Scripture, they rejected the whole writing. And so that was the approach that the uh, early Christians used in deciding which text will be preserved in our Bible. Then I brought about um, the uh, pseudopigrapha work, uh, pseudopigrapha work or text. And the word pseudopigrapha means false writings or false work. And it comes from a combination of two Greek words, pseudo, which means false, and epigraphian, meaning inscription. So this term is often used in reference to false biblical writings. Now, however, they, uh, uh, these writings have been vetted, and they've been found to be illegitimate because of the internal writing. So Paul, in his writing to the church in Galatia, warns them, as I said before, about false, false gospels. Galatians 1.7, you can read that for yourself. He further informs his readers that there were those whose intent was to disseminate a perverted form of the gospel, Galatians 1 and 7. He also speaks concerning false gospels or writings in his appeal to the church of Thessalonica when Paul wrote the following. He said that you not be quickly shaken from your composure 
or be disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 2. This is the case with the so-called apocrypha books or pseudopigrapha work. Many people also, um, uh, also look at these writings as the lost books of the Bible. And I said that last week. These books were not lost. These books have been known since uh, the early uh, church, and they were rejected uh, because they were found to be illegitimate internally. Uh, and there are things inside of these so-called lost books of the Bible that have been found to be blatantly contradictory to what we have in our Bible. So that's why they were never included. They're, they weren't um, intended to be hidden away or uh, to be archived somewhere in secret. Uh, the church has always known about these so-called lost books of the Bible. So when you hear people say uh, the church uh, should uh, have put the lost books of the Bible uh, inside of what we already have in addition to our, 60, uh, to our 66 books, uh, just let them know that the church have already vetted these so-called lost books of the Bible, and they have proven to not meet the standard or the criteria that the other letters that we have in the Bible uh, were able to accomplish. So, again, they were never lost. Uh, there are numerous uh, pseudopigrapha books that we have today. Uh, we can't deny that, but just because they exist, doesn't mean that they ought to be included in our Bible. All it means is that uh, Paul was writing Galatians uh, chapter 1 that there were people that wrote perverted work, and they uh, tried to get it included in the Scriptures, and they were rejected. So it's another reason why you can be confident that we do have what they wrote. So currently, uh, there are more than 50 so-called uh, apocryphal books, uh, so-called lost books of the Bible, so, so-called pseudopigraphical work. So there are over 50. Uh, that's a lot. But again, be confident that what we, what we have in our Bible is what God wants us to have. And the devil is crafty. The devil uh, desires for us to be distracted by these so-called uh, pseudopigraphal letters that are uh, filled with errors and filled with uh, different passages that are blatantly contradictory to the Word of God. And it's very interesting, very interesting, uh, that we have 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. And we struggle to fulfill the statutes and mandates that we already have in these 66 books. And ironically, there are some who are not satisfied with the 66 books. They have yet to accomplish many of the things the Bible talks about already, but yet they're interested in more books. And the question is, why? Why are you so interested in these so-called additional books when we haven't adequately managed the books that we already do have? We ought to concentrate on what God has for us and is telling us through the Bible, not to be distracted by 
uh, secularism or to be dist- distracted by um, uh, combativeness or uh, to be distracted by um, intellectualism. And again, nothing wrong with using your mind. God says uh, he invites us. Uh, Come, let us reason together. So God wants us to use our mind, but we can't be distracted by scholarship. There are people who wake up every day not interested in following the precepts of the Bible, but they're more interested in trying to prove the Bible wrong. They're more interested in trying to uh, find uh, out other letters and trying to find out letters that nobody else have seen before. So they, they're interested, more interested in the chase. They're more interested in being the first one to discover something new. They're more interested in, uh, uh, in, the, in their ego, and, and, and they're more interested in sounding intellectual than actually following the precepts that the Bible has already given us. So don't be uh, distracted. Don't be deceived. Uh, Don't be uh, taken away from our goal, our focus, which is for God to speak to our hearts, which would compel us to change for the better, for us to turn our face toward Christ. And it's easy, especially um, being an apologist, it's it's very easy for us to get caught up in debates, uh, to argue for the existence of God, which uh, at, at different times, it's appropriate to argue uh, for the uh, credibility of the New Testament manuscripts. And again, uh, when it's warranted, we should argue for those things. But that can't be our whole objective. Ultimately, whatever we do, our objective ought to be for people to know Jesus Christ. We, we can't ever forgive that. Our goal is that we want everybody to know Jesus. Our goal is for everybody to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that goal has to be rooted in charity. It has to be rooted in love. So to um, just wake up in the morning to be excited about knowledge is not enough. To wake up in the morning and just to be uh, overly excited about debating someone is not enough. What is the reason? What is the motive for why you're learning the things that you learn. And I'm hoping that uh, this series on the Bible is not just us uh, collecting a whole bunch of information just so we can win an argument. No, we should learn all about the Bible so we can become better believers, so we can become uh, better Jesus followers, so we can become uh, more obedient, so we can uh, become Uh, more focused on fulfilling the will of God rather than just collecting a whole bunch of information and trying to win debates. Well, uh, our time has come to a close again. We pray that you learned something from today's episode. Uh, If you have any questions, please contact us, info at srministries.org. And as always, we thank you all for your prayers and your encouragement. And we need every single one of you. If you enjoy Sound Reasoning Radio Show, we pray that you consider becoming a monthly partner of any amount. Uh, You can go to srministries.org and donate, or uh, you can uh, write a check to Sound Reasoning Ministries, P.O. Box 582-306, El Grove, 95758. And remember 
to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, You can tell if a person needs encouragement. Check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.